Welcome to the QI Chatroom. I'm your host, Kelly Bond. This podcast is brought to you by Redwood Community Health Coalition, or RCHC for short. We're a network of community health centers and a wellness education site throughout Marin, Napa, Sonoma, and Yolo counties. We formed in 1994 with a mission of improving access to and the quality of care provided for underserved and uninsured people. This podcast is all about quality improvement, or QI, in healthcare. We'll bring you speakers from our member health centers, outside health centers, county and federal agencies, healthcare plans, and more. Those speakers will discuss promising practices they've identified at health centers, the latest data on specific health topics, and engage in conversation with our live audience. We've been hosting these chat rooms since late 2018 and transitioned to the podcast format in the fall of 2019 to reach a greater range of listeners. We hope you'll join us as we share the latest in quality improvement with you. This episode is the sixth in our series of COVID-19 focused sessions. The goal of these sessions is to share information with health centers that can make this challenging time a little bit easier. This will be our last COVID-focused session for now. There could be more in the future. Today, we're joined by RCHC's CEO, Dr. Karen Millman, who will talk about RCHC's response to COVID-19. Dr. Millman has focused her career on improving systems to address the health of both individuals and the community. She is passionate about promoting health equity. Dr. Millman has over 10 years of experience working in governmental public health, coordinating health improvement coalitions, and overseeing programs in chronic disease prevention, communicable disease control, environmental health, and emergency preparedness. She came to the Redwood Community Health Coalition from the California Department of Public Health, where she had been serving as a public health medical officer in the Emergency Preparedness Office. Prior to that, she was the Sonoma County Health Officer. Dr. Millman earned her medical degree from the University of Maryland and completed residency as well as obtained her Master of Public Health degree from Johns Hopkins University. She is board certified in preventative medicine and public health. Here's Dr. Millman. So hi, my name is Dr. Karen Millman and I am the Chief Executive Officer of the Redwood Community Health Coalition. I've been with the coalition for about nine months now. I am a preventive medicine and public health physician who has previously spent the last 10 years working for local and state health departments. At the local level, as a county health officer, she was responsible for all public health and emergency response, as well as infectious disease control. At the state level in the Emergency Preparedness Office, she helped complete after-action reports and evaluation of preparedness for some special pathogen outbreaks. My first question for Dr. Millman was how has RCHC been involved in the COVID response? At RCHC, our mission is to help our health centers so that they're capable of promoting and ensuring that all of the members of our communities have access to quality medical care. We view our role as largely helping our health centers. And so for that role, we've been really focused on what are the things we need to do to help with all aspects of the health center preparedness and response from redesigning how they are 
um, structuring their clinics, doing their in-person visits, to helping connect them to the local public health departments, to be aware of guidance documents, and to doing coordination across the healthcare system to respond. Can you speak to any specific actions RCHC has taken? RCHC has implemented a lot of activities to help coordinate our health centers, and we've sort of put them into a couple different categories, uh, categories of information sharing, category of peer groups and learning collaboratives, a category of technical support, and a category where I guess I would put it connecting um, both the healthcare systems and the community. So I'll start and go through a little bit on each of these. This event has been really rapidly changing. It's an emerging disease where we don't have a lot of information either about what's going on with the disease, how is it spreading, or with what are the best practices in the science about implementing things to prevent the spread of disease. And because of it's all new, the information is changing really rapidly, and that makes it very hard for any one individual or one agency to keep on top of it all. The one thing that RCHC has been doing is, um, as a group, collecting information and interpreting it and sharing it out and distilling it so that our health centers can stay on top of it, because there's no way they could possibly all do all their day-to-day operations and also be on each county call and the state call and the federal call and on the guidance, the new guidance call for each individual aspect of a health center. So RCHC has really been spending a lot of time trying to gather information, distill it. We've been having informational calls for our health centers, and we've also been sort of distilling it by short emails and putting up a Dropbox for health centers to access. We also realize that when you interpret all this information, you receive it all, you have to figure out how to do something with it. So RCHC, we've taken our existing peer groups, and then we've um, added a couple of new peer groups to really gather um, people from across our member health centers and to learn from each other and to, as a group, developing ways to address challenging issues and develop a joint response. What existing peer groups are convening around COVID, and what are the new peer groups? So we had already had groups of the chief medical officers who met regularly. We had already had a data and electronic record group meet regularly. And then we've sort of added these ad hoc groups or new groups to take a look at it. So, for example, we now have every Tuesday morning a group where both the CEOs and the CMOs can talk together about whatever the emerging issues are or challenging um, issues that have evolved. And they can ask each other, how did you deal with this? What happened with that? Um, Another group that we've convened is the dental health group where the dental directors have all come together every Friday morning to talk about what are the concerns they're facing, what research have they done and the best practices for looking towards reopening, how can they think through this as a group. We've also had a behavioral health peer group. We've had a group looking at um, how do we share resources about connecting patients to community resources. And we started, uh, we had repurposed an existing committee to really talk about telehealth so that we could share not only how do you do the logistics of setting up telehealth and implementing its operations, but also how do we learn what is billable and how do we make sure that we're maximizing our reimbursement for these efforts. Another thing that we're doing is really trying to connect the health centers to the community. So we've set up some group meetings with each health centers and the county health departments 
or with other health agencies so that we can work through what are the processes. So what is the process for a homeless patient who needs to get into the alternate care center? Or how can we coordinate to make sure that if the health department is doing one type of laboratory testing that is sort of matching and synergistic with what some of our health centers are doing? So we've really been looking at how do we connect across the healthcare system. Uh, another thing that our CHC has been doing is trying to find some subject matter experts to bring in to provide technical support beyond what our staff may know or the health centers may do. So, for example, we contracted with a former public health officer to be available to help interpret some of the epidemiology and laboratory testing data so that she could answer questions that when the health centers, what came up from the health centers about which is the best test to be performing or if this test is now available, how do we interpret the results? She also provided some consultation and guidance around um, best practices with personal protective gear and sharing of information as it was evolving with what the guidance was. And then this morning, we had actually connected everyone with um, an industrial hygienist who could provide them with information and thought thinking through and answering questions about what are the changes we might need to do with our facility structures and air exchange as, again, best practices for preventive measures. So our CHC's, again, been trying to identify what are the things that are hard for a clinic or health center to do by themselves where they would be better served by talking together as a group and making some group consensus or might need some expertise brought in that it makes more sense to bring it in and have everyone get a chance to talk to that expert rather than trying to contract with 17 different health centers individually. And we felt that that is our role in thinking through the response. RCHC also runs the Navigator and CalFresh programs where our staff help train and coordinate with many of our health centers with their um, certified enrollment counselors to help patients get enrolled to get the benefits they're eligible for. What has the response to COVID been like for this department? We have made sure that as everyone is moving to remote, being of patients and limiting in person, we've been providing training and some procedures and protocols both for ourselves and for our participating health centers so that we can figure out how do we safely and yet effectively do outreach to patients and get them enrolled to make sure that they maintain or have health insurance and access other benefits like um, supplemental food um, programs to get them the services that they need during this time. There's a lot of opportunity for healthcare advocacy right now. What has RCHC been doing to advocate for health centers? RCHC has also been taking a role in doing education to our local officials and our elected officials on what is going on with health centers and what are their needs and why is it so important that health centers um, achieve some stability for both their the long-term and the short-term community needs. So we've done outreach to our state and our federal officials trying to promote um, getting additional funding support for health centers, trying to talk to them about the state budget and how any regulatory changes that have been proposed are important. So for example, we've done significant outreach on the importance of telehealth has only been allowed during this emergency as a fully billable expense because we have a declared emergency. But we've discovered that this is an important thing to do, not only because we need to do social distancing and try to minimize the time that patients are in the health center to protect their health and the staff health, but because in the long term, this is actually gonna provide better care 
to the patients who then can have the ease of receiving medical care without having to commute a long distance or at a better, more convenient time for them. What role will RCHC continue to play in the long term throughout the pandemic? How do you see RCHC's role changing and adapting? So in thinking about the long-term part, we don't know how long this pandemic is going to last. It's certainly going to be at least another six months, if not longer, and it's going to have a permanent repercussions on how do we think through healthcare, how do we think through how we space out seeing patients, we take protective measures, all of these ripple effects that are going on. RCHC's role in this is going to continue because our role in this is ongoing, regardless of whether there's a pandemic, is to support our member health centers. One of the things that we've shifted, originally we really focused on how do you just get infection control and personal protective gear in place. Then we focused a lot on getting telehealth going. And now as some of the shelter in place orders are lifting, we're starting to think through how do we go back to expanding the services that we're seeing patients for in person? And how do we sort of reimagine them going forward. So we've had a peer group and we've come up with a consensus document that we're almost finished about which patients should be seen in person, which patients can be seen more often via video or telehealth. How do you balance between them? How often in a given year should you make sure you see them in person? And we're trying to think of that as a living document because as the pandemic evolves, so might that. So if we go into a phase of sort of quiet spread where things are stable and the community reopens, then we'll probably bring more and more patients back in person to be seen. But then if there's a spike in cases again, things might shut down again. This pan pandemics don't happen like they, they say they do when the news is talking about you, or talking about it and showing this plateau leaving off and then it ends. That's a classic epidemiology curve for a single point source outbreak, but doesn't really talk about a pandemic where you're gonna have multiple waves of varying sizes over um, the course until we have herd immunity across the world. And so I think we need to think through what is gonna be the phases and how do we continually adjust for the healthcare system. So we will continue to add more peer groups, add one-off work sessions, address whatever the emerging issues are. And then as things have settled down, we might stop having one peer group and we might start doing another. We might look for a different technical support person or new guidance will be issued and we'll all get everyone together saying, how do we address this guidance? Uh, it, it's an ongoing effort, both for the coronavirus response, but also it's a part of our day-to-day -day operations when we think about what was our role was okay, if Medi-Cal is gonna change at the state level, how do we all address that? It's, it's, it's the same type of process and role that our CHC has always had. It's just you know, pandemic specific versus more general about health centers. What are your thoughts on vaccine development and the proposed timelines? There's a lot of talk about when will the pandemic be over and it's not really clear. There's no clear cut answer to that. A lot of hope is being pinned on whether or not a vaccine can be developed. Uh, it's a little bit hard to know, right, in such a short period of time. There are multiple vaccine trials that are getting launched, multiple different types of vaccines. We're not sure as a scientific community of what will be the effectiveness of this, how long immunity will be for the vaccines. In addition to which, it gets very hard to think about how do you produce a vaccine in the mass quantities that it would be needed worldwide 
to actually produce worldwide herd immunity? And then even if you do produce one, will you get people willing to actually take the vaccine? So a lot of questions remain. The other thing that um, contributes to the questions here is if you've had coronavirus, or from coronavirus for COVID-19, not just any coronavirus, do you develop immunity that's long lasting? We don't actually know any of that. It's too early in the course of this emerging disease. So given all of that uncertainty, I think we can say that the pandemic is gonna go on and there may be waves of it for quite a while. And we it's incumbent on us to just prepare for all of the possible uncertainties. One thing that I think many people don't understand is the complexity of creating a vaccine for the coronavirus as opposed to the complexity of addressing, adjusting the flu vaccine every year. There's never been a vaccine specific for coronavirus, whereas we have multiple successful vaccines for the influenza virus. And then each year there's slight changes in the influenza virus strains that we can very quickly create a vaccine for that we know is both efficacious and safe. We don't know about the safety or the efficacy of some of the coronavirus vaccines. And so that's one of the things that's gonna make this different than the H1N1 pandemic that occurred about 10 years ago, because then we already knew that we had the base of a vaccine that was successful, that created immunity, that could be mass produced, and that was safe. So for this, we're really going to we're really starting more from scratch, and we'll have to see how it goes. It is again challenging in a short time period to verify both the long-term efficacy of a vaccine and the safety. Any advice for quality improvement leads at health centers who may feel that their role is shifting and are struggling to meet quality measures? My thoughts for quality improvement leads is that your your role may feel shifted right now because everyone is so focused on emergency response, but in fact that some ways your role is even more important than ever because we have to figure out what we're doing and what the changes are. Are, are they still quality and are they still ensuring the outcomes that we want? And so it's a slight adjustment in that what we may have used to say is here are our metrics for the year. We want you to work on improving them. Now you have to think about how do we adjust our operations and our procedures to still aim for those metrics, even if those metrics may change a little bit, but also how do we ensure the quality of the work that we're doing? So even if there's no metric, we would like to know, are the telehealth visits we're doing still maintaining our quality? Are the outcomes still being maintained at the level we would like to do? So I think it's really gonna encourage some rethinking of how do we define the role of quality improvements because so much of it in the past has been focused around specific metrics that are externally decided. Those aren't going away. Those are still really important and we'll see that they're still kept in both our performance improvement program, our Medi-Cal managed care pro program, performance improvement program. But there's now a whole new level of things to think about as we redesign our in-person visit process. Do you have thoughts on the future of healthcare and what it will look like? What will change as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic? So my thoughts on the future of healthcare is that we're going to shift away from this idea that we need a lengthy in-person visit to be seen to ensure that health is met. I think what we're seeing with uh, telehealth, video health, 
is that there are a lot of ways that you can communicate with the patient without them sitting in the room in front of you, which is going to both be more efficient and also may actually suit their lifestyles better. It does make a change in how you interact. It also is a way of shifting more towards team-based care. So it's not just who's the one person in the room with the patient, but how are the multiple different people going to be connecting with the patient remotely to get the information, to do the education, to think more um, about how do we follow up with them when they're not in front of us and the importance of that. The other things are going to be that thinking about getting healthcare in a different way. So can we do drive-through healthcare? Can we, can we be measuring blood pressure in different locations? So there's definitely going to be more creativity, more innovation, and in how do we connect with the patients, which is going to be a little bit of a shock to a system that's still rooted in the past. On the other hand, we've seen this um, sort of jumps in cultural standards occur with other technology and other service industries as well, right? We shifted from everyone taking taxis to having uh, Uber and Lyft. We shifted to cell phones from everyone having landlines. I don't, I don't think that this is that different or crazy that the shift is going to happen. It is going to have sort of a cultural change and take a while to get used to. The other thing I think will be really a much greater focus on really thinking about infection control and both patient and staff safety, because I think we've taken it for granted that we really knew how to do infection control that was really faced, focused on bloodborne pathogens and certain exposures. And this is really giving us a new awareness, both in the healthcare setting and in the rest of the world, the world settings about how respiratory and our breathing and interacting with another person has changed. Humans are social creatures. We need frequent physical and social connection to be healthy. Right now and for the foreseeable future, we need to limit that connection as much as possible to physically distant interactions and virtual connection. How are we going to interact with people in the future and how does this apply to healthcare? While video and phone visits might be easier for patients to access, might we miss some aspects of the in-person visit, like assessing a patient's body language? There are pros and cons to changing of the telehealth. I think there is there are certain things like a physical exam that you have to be done in person. But I think other things can be conveyed. Again, you have to learn how to connect, but I think through video or telephone, Sometimes actually that may be better for the patient because they don't have the fear or discomfort of being in a doctor's office. Or it may also be enlightening to see what is the patient's life like outside of the doctor's, you know, what is their home look like? So you can actually get a different idea of how to interact with them, but it is learning a new skill, both how to communicate differently, how to make sure you're paying attention. I think in some ways, telehealth visit where it's video, you're looking directly at the patient and you're not entering into the computer, which is some of the challenges we've had with electronic health records, right, where you're not looking at the patient. So again, pros and cons there. I do think, you know, figuring out that balance is going to take a bit and changing beliefs. In regards to the other part, I think that, that you commented, I, I think all of society will change and that we are used to really being a much more social and physical culture, it's going to cause some anxiety and some distrust until you, we get used to what are the ways we can interact with others. 
I have hope that it's a learning experience and that will adjust. I mean, if you think back to little kids, right, when you're a three-year-old, you crawl over everything and you lick everything in sight and you don't really, like, you don't, it doesn't occur to you that there's some risk there. And yet now we as adults are also learning, oh, what we used to think there wasn't risk being in a crowded bar. Now we understand that there's a risk and we'll have to make some decisions about how, what, we're, what risk we're willing to take. There will be learnings about how to connect with people. So there's a lot of downsides to it. People will be hesitant to give hugs. People will be hesitant to engage in some of the ways we're used to. There may also be positive things to take from this. And maybe it's me looking for a silver lining here. But if I think about the people who have adopted wearing a mask willingly, who understand it, I realize there's a lot of controversy about it. But the purpose of wearing a cloth mask is source control from our medical terminology. But in the lay terms, it's I'm taking an action to protect you, right? And if we can build this into the culture of thinking about how my individual decisions on how I act impacts the community, impacts others around me, yes, that may come from a fear or protective mandatory measure related to an infectious disease, but it actually could be a huge positive change in our culture, right? So it's not just am I wearing a mask to think about you, but how is my driving impacting you or how are my other decisions, right? This may be actually a trigger to change our thoughts on, you know, the one, one person and our own desires and that of the community. It will certainly be interesting to see how we change as a species from this pandemic. What are we seeing in regards to health disparities and inequities from COVID-19? One of the things we're seeing in this pandemic is it is highlighting for us the inequities that occur in our society. And I'm hoping that people look at it and really look at the deeper level of what this means and what we need to do for systemic and infrastructure change. So at least in our counties here, we have a significant um, disproportionate in who is having the cases and who is becoming ill. Those counties are Marin, Napa, Sonoma, and Yolo. For Sonoma County, for example, 75% of the coronavirus cases that have been diagnosed are in the Latinx population, whereas if you look at general at our census, that's only 25% of the population. And I think what's really important to understand is the why behind this. It's not because of some innate issue with the way that uh, with that population is because of our societal structure. So individuals who tend to, because of their income, because of whatever systemic structure has been put in place, often racism or discrimination has come through, um, are put in situations where they're more likely to be exposed. So if you have a large group of people who are living together because that's how they can afford to live together, then there's gonna be more likelihood of transmission within that group. Similarly, people who are working in some of our frontline jobs that unfortunately the way our society is structured are the ones that are low paying jobs. So you really can't afford to not go to work if you're not feeling well. Those are the people at the higher risk. So the people who are working in our grocery stores, the essential workers, our restaurant workers, even within the healthcare system, some of our workers in the skilled nursing facilities who really have to work multiple jobs and be in multiple places at once, they're the ones who have the highest risk of exposure, and then they may also live in a home environment that um, contributes to a greater spread. And you add that to with, you know, not great communication and 
some distrust and again it makes it harder to figure out how do we adjust this the system to help it so i think what i would say is that these um, disparities that we're seeing really should highlight for us what is our underlying problems what the in our society that we should address what how do we make sure that we are taking care of our essential workers and getting them protection so that they can work in a safe environment so that they have food security and how do we start addressing some of these structural systems that make it unfair so that some people are more likely to get ill than others. Are there policies you'd recommend to combat these inequities, such as mandatory paid sick leave? Yes, paid sick leave. I think it also highlights something that happens in our country more than others. The fact that we all get our health insurance through our employers is a big problem. Right, because then if you become ill, you can, you know, or you and you're unable to work, then you lose your health insurance. Or if in this case the pandemic occurs and then all these businesses have trouble and then you lose your job, then you not only have lost your job, you've lost your access to health insurance. Or you get put in a place where you have to choose between do I get medical care or do I eat? Right. So again, it's it's a total system challenge that sort of developed historically in our country in an obscure way with how health insurance became employer-based, that if we look at other countries, they have an easier time with implementing shelter-in-place orders because people don't have that huge fear of, if I shelter in place, I'm not going to have enough of an income to pay my rent and to eat. And then they don't feel obligated to work in jobs that are not safe. So I think there does need to be looking at, again, ensuring that healthcare is something that all individuals have access to and a right to. How do we look at, as you mentioned, paid sick leave? How do we think about other support systems in our society to help people so that if they do need to isolate at home, they can? And how do we look through again at these other bigger picture issues of ensuring safety of people so that they can that it's it's equitable who has the protective measures and who doesn't? Thank you, Dr. Millman, for joining us today. Is there anything else you'd like to add in closing? I believe that our, our member health centers and RCHC are representative of health centers across the country. We're rooted in a social justice framework where we really believe that our job is to help our patients and help the health of our community. And our health centers here have really stepped up to think through how do we redesign what we're doing and really maintain that that access so that patients can get the care they need and that quality. Our health centers have also really thought beyond their borders and what are we doing for patient care to think through how are we outreaching and doing message in community? How are we connecting and doing testing, not just to our patients, but to contacts of our patients who might need it. I've been really impressed with their dedication, though not surprised because this has been historical of what do health centers do and I want to sort of express an appreciation for that and also acknowledge that this has been a lot of energy and a long haul and we're several months into this and there's a lot more of this to come. And so I hope that everyone who's listening is patient with themselves, patient with each other and recognizes that we've had some great success and we really do have to figure out how to maintain our stamina to keep up the work. A big thank you to today's presenter, 
participants, and our listeners. I'm your host, Kelly Bond, and we'll see you next time in the QI chat room. Thank you.